So we're going to change gears today and do things a little bit differently than normal. I'm really excited to release this. So um, in the beginning of the summer, my friend Caitlin Brazil was so gracious and so wonderful in coming on my Instagram live and sharing her story with what um, the surgery she had, which is called a urethral sling. So what Caitlin was experiencing as a new mom was urinary incontinence. And over the years, as she became more active and more involved in her gym routine, exercise and jumping were increasing that incontinence. So she consulted her urogynecologist and she was referred to surgery. And unfortunately, that surgery didn't go very well. Um, And Caitlin was not given conservative options like pelvic floor therapy physical therapy and instead she was referred for this surgery and now she's kind of having complications from that so this episode is very real it's very raw it's very candid I'm so again so grateful that Caitlin came on here to share her story with all of us because I believe that this is something that women and especially new moms need to be aware of that surgery is not the only option. Um, I kind of feel like in a lot of cases it should be taken as a last resort. So again, you really need to be your own health advocate and really ask the hard questions and demand more answers from your providers because something like receiving a surgery like this could affect you for the rest of your life. So, um, Let's get into this. I apologize in advance because (laughs) I did not have a microphone at the time. My audio is terrible. Caitlin sounds much better than mine. And I also had the AC going in the background, which I just noticed, and it sounds awful. So (laughs) I apologize in advance for that. But I mean, messy action is action. And this, this interview is too important to not share with the world. So Please give this a listen, take notes, um, and let me know if you have any questions. Let's get in. Welcome to Finally Fearless, a podcast devoted to getting your damn life back. My name is Dr. Melissa Chofi, a physical therapist who is absolutely sick and tired of seeing women like you fall victim to bullshit products, bullshit advice, and being made to feel like you have to accept a bullshit life. Here we will uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly in regard to the health and wellness realm and have some fun along the way. I'm so excited that you've taken the first step in getting your damn life back. Let's get into the episode. So, um, everyone, this is my friend Caitlin, Caitlin Brazil. She is an amazing human. We met each other through a business course we took last year, um, and we kind of like became friends over our love for trash reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Namely, 90 Day Fiance. So if you haven't seen that, you need to. Um, I wrote down the blurb because you said it so nicely when I introduced you and I knew I was going to fuck it up, so I wrote it down. (laughs) So I really know what you do, but I just needed to read it. So Caitlin is a health at every size aligned body image coach and certified personal trainer that helps moms 
honor and make peace with their bodies, which I absolutely love. And this is another reason why I love Caitlyn is because she, like, that is what we need to perpetuate. Um, yeah. Anything to add to all of that? Um, I am really big on women tapping into their personal values. I think that there's just a lot of noise with society telling us what we should give a shit about. And I think that a lot of times, especially me early on in motherhood, the things that I was stressed about and the things that I was focused on weren't really aligned with who I am. So I, once I really tapped into my personal values and I started honoring my life from those values, it showed up in the way that I take care of my body, the way I parent, the way I take care of myself, just my whole life just opened up once I started honoring my personal values instead of somebody else's value system. So. And did anything kind of like wake you <clears throat> up to realizing that or was it just? Gosh, it's been kind of a long journey um, <laughs> to get where I am. <laughs> but um, the real transformation for me was um, around the time I turned 30 and my mom was actually diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And that was kind of a stepping stone for me to stop living my life for other people and start living in a way that honored me because I just, I mean, at one point we thought, I thought that I might lose my mom. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, I don't want to waste my life chasing after something that doesn't even matter to me anymore, you know? And so that was kind of a stepping stone, but then there's lots of other shit along the way. Um, and then I ended up having, um, some disordered eating, um, I reached a goal weight. I was doing Weight Watchers and um, I made lifetime membership and I was miserable in my life. Like everybody was complimenting me and telling me how wonderful I was. And meanwhile, I was binging and taking laxatives and, you know, running three miles before weigh-ins and measuring how much my clothes weighed before a weigh-in. And I just was like, God, there's got to be more to life than this, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the thing that really opened the doors for me to really just figure out what I wanted and learn how to honor my own body um, on my terms. So, right. I yeah. love that. And I wish yeah. that more women like got that message because mm -hmm. in the end of the day, like you don't like your body is supposed to be there for you. It's not just, mm -hmm. it's like supposed to perform. And when you're doing stuff like binging and then purging and then like, that's the aesthetic reason is what you're paying attention to. You don't pay attention yeah. to the more important things. Exactly. Exactly. Yay. I love that. Yeah. So today we're talking, Caitlin was very brave to come on and agree <laughs> to talk about her experience with what's called uh, urethral sling surgery. So uh, what did you, what were you kind of feeling initially before anything like surgery got brought up? So after I had um, my first son, I started dealing with incontinence. Um, I started with sneezing, coughing, laughing, and there's a lot and of- And sorry, oh, how, long ago, how long ago was it? Uh, so he was, he's five and a half now. So that was about five and a half years ago that I started dealing with that. And then of course, like during pregnancy when he, you know, his weight was like on my bladder. <laughs> that yeah. was also kind of an issue, but it- after pregnancy, after childbirth, like it didn't go away. Like it, it almost became worse. And, um, you know, initially I just was like, whatever, like I'm going to wear a panty liner. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and I had known other women in my life that 
always wore panty liners. Like that's just like what you do as a woman, right? So I just kind of thought it was normal and expected. And, um, you know, we all talk about like, do your Kegels, but like, there's no education for moms after they give birth about like, hey, you should go see a pelvic floor therapist or let's talk about your pelvic floor health. There was no conversation about that. So we just, the postpartum care in general is just, it's trash. Like we do not take care of our mothers after they give birth. It is mm -hmm. the worst quality of care. So we're just kind of thrown into it and um, it wasn't a big deal. And then I became more active as the years went on. And I remember I joined a gym. It was like a group fitness um, cross training gym. And I was having issues with any kind of jumping exercise. And I remember like they would ask us to do jumping jacks for like 30 seconds. And I would like conveniently be like, oh, I got to go check my phone or like I got to go to the bathroom <laughs> or like I would make excuses for it. And I was wearing like that period underwear to the gym. Oh, yeah. And it got to the point where I was having to wear period underwear plus a liner because it was just so much incontinence wow. and then um at the time i was also like a really avid runner and i remember one day it was a saturday morning and the whole the whole neighborhood was out and i had like a full-blown accident like my bladder completely emptied as i was running and i just was mortified and nobody probably could tell because i was running fast and I was wearing black leggings and nobody probably noticed, but I was just mortified. And at that moment I was like, this is bullshit. Like I can't, I can't <laughs> keep doing this. It was mm -hmm. making me, um, like I stopped taking classes with, um, some of the guy trainers at my gym. I started making sure that like class sizes were small and like it was only women. And if there was a man there, I felt really uncomfortable and it started to really impact my quality of life. And I started um, being a little bit less active and I was like, I don't want to live this way. So yeah. when I, when I did like a Google search for incontinence, I mean, I, I had a name for it. Um, What'd you call it? Incontinence, you know, it was like oh. incontinence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I thought I you like called it something. <laughs> no, like I knew, I knew what it was. Um, and I did kind of know that this was like a thing because everybody makes memes and jokes about like, this is what happens after you give birth. Um, so when I did a Google search, the first thing that popped up was a urogynecologist here in town. So nothing came up, nothing came up about pelvic floor therapy. Of course. I, I literally <laughs> never even heard of that until you and I met. Never heard of it. That's so, so crazy. That, that therapists existed that, that worked specifically for that. So I called the urogynecologist and, um, it wasn't. It was an interesting conversation, you know, with him. Um, we went through a lot of testing and basically he diagnosed me with urge incontinence and stress incontinence. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm like going into the next part. Did you have like another question? Uh, you know, I, I don't going. give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, I do have a question. I have a yeah. couple first, sorry. Um, as far as the Kegels go, like, where did you learn about them and like, how did you know what you were doing or like, um, so, <laughs> um, the first time I had actually learned about them was when I was working as like a waitress and this is what girls would talk about in order to like 
makes sex more pleasurable for their men. Like you have to do Kegels. Yes. And I so heard that. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> you do it. Like it wasn't, it had nothing to do with incontinence. That was just like the afterthought, like, Oh, and also it helps you not piss yourself. But <laughs> the biggest thing was like, this is for a man's pleasure. And if you want to keep your man, like you got to keep shit tight down there. And like, this is what you do. And so that's the first place I ever heard about Kegels. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, like, yeah. how did you know how to do them? I mean, I just, like, I was told that you just, like, try to hold in your pee. And that's all you do. Like, just try to hold in your pee. And then you just do that throughout the day, all day, while you're driving. And, um, and it'll tighten things up for you. So, for your man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Because that's the only thing we live for. Right, right. <laughs> pleasure and serve our men that's, of that's course <laughs> yeah and then how long did you live with it before you decided to consult the urogynecologist so it had been about two and a half years that I wow. decided to finally finally reach out and that was my breaking point was when I like peed myself in the neighborhood because I was running yeah. like full bladder emptied and I was like I can't I can't keep doing this like this is enough is enough so were you able yeah. to feel that like your bladder was full and you were you had to go or like did it just kind of come out uh, of nowhere? So sometimes sometimes both. Um, mm -hmm. Like it would feel like a little urge, but um, like I so I feel I would always feel like an urge before my bladder was even full. Um, but then it would just like like when I needed to go, I needed to go, and there yeah. was no like there was no way I could hold it. Um, until I got home, like it was coming and I right, couldn't, right. I couldn't stop it. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so crazy. Yeah. So now tell us how, about the appointment. Cause I find this so like fascinating. <laughs> okay. So which, which part, um, the entire just, thing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I don't remember all of the testing that I had done, but I do remember there was one test that I came in and they placed a catheter in me. And they, they basically filled up my bladder and I had to tell them, like, as they started to fill it up, I had to tell them when like an urge came on, mm -hmm. um, to go pee. And they just kept filling it up and filling it up. And it was so uncomfortable. And I told them pretty quickly, I was like, I need to pee. And she was like, well, we're going to do a little bit more. And I was like, no, seriously, I need to pee a little bit more. I need to pee. And it was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, plus not to mention catheters are just they're not they're not fun so, I know yeah I'm so so like me personally like I don't know I'm sure there's a reason why they did the testing that way but mm -hmm. I would feel like just from you saying what your symptoms were like I don't understand the need for using a catheter and doing that because you're pretty yeah. clear on like your body awareness is on point like you know yeah. how to describe what you're feeling so like that right away I'm kind of like uh, I don't know. I mean, it's another thing you can build to insurance. So true. There's always, there's always a, a plus side to that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. And then uh, talk a little bit about what the supposed treatment was supposed to be. Um, okay. So I actually, before I get to that, like I made it very clear to this doctor. I said, um, I said, I'm, I'm an incredibly active person. And 
I don't know if he just didn't believe me because I don't look like the stereotypical fit person. Um, but I, I was very clear on that point. I was like, I am extremely active. I run, you know, like a few times a week. I go to a cross training gym. Um, and this is why I'm here. Is because As we can all tell in. from your background. Yes. <laughs> My gym. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I made it very clear to him what I do and why this was important to me. And like, this is preventing me from my fitness right now. So he knew that. Um, and basically he gave me two choices. He said, we can do some pelvic floor therapy and the pelvic floor therapy would have consisted of eight weeks where they essentially put a probe inside of you. And, um, the probe does the work. It like helps contract your muscles. And I do that once a week for eight weeks. And he told me, he said, you will have to pay a copay every single time you come in. Um, and you'll also have to find childcare because he knew I was a stay at home mom. And mm -hmm. so he was like, but I have this other option here for you. And it's a surgery to place a sling that um, in your urethra that basically helps support, um, support you for the urgent continence. So let me just, incontinence. sorry, I just want to, okay. I don't mean to interrupt, but no, for okay. anybody who's not familiar, so you have two openings if you have a vagina. One is the urethra, that's where the pee actually comes out, and then you have the actual vaginal opening, and that's where penetration occurs. Yeah. So, um, basically, he told me we could do the surgery. He said it's a quick um, outpatient surgery. You'll be in and out within a few hours. He said, you have to pay one copay. Like he definitely played into like the money thing for me. Um, and he said it has great results. And he was like, the recovery time is about four weeks. You'll have to stay home from the gym and then you'll be back to normal. Um, so of course, in the moment, I'm like, you're telling me all I have to do is miss four weeks of the gym, like a month, and it's less money. I don't have to pay for a babysitter and i'll be back to normal and i won't be peeing myself i was like this sounds like a dream and so i agreed um without hesitation i mean it seemed like the best choice for me at the time um and then the day before my surgery uh i had a pre-op appointment and i just reiterated with him i was like hey like i just want to make sure that like recovery time is going to be four weeks and i can be back in the gym um, at the time, I was training for a Spartan race, and I wanted to make sure I had plenty of time to do some, um, you know, just some conditioning to get ready for my Spartan. And this was the day before the surgery. He's like, oh, no, 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 not four weeks. He's like, you're going to be out of the gym for at least eight weeks. And in that moment, <laughs> if I could go back in time, like, I feel like it was like a bait and switch. And I wish in that moment I could go back in time and just say, like, eh this is not for me. Like, this is not going to work for me. Um, but I was already like, my toes were already in the water. You know, I was already, I already had one foot through the door. And so I felt like there was no going back from it. And so I was like, okay, well, like it is what it is. Um, so then I had the surgery and during my eight weeks off, um, I lost mostly my core strength. Uh, my yeah. core strength was, was gone. Um, and so it did take a while for me to, to recover from that surgery. Um, it took quite a bit. And then I, I still was able to do my Spartan race, which was a blast. And um, a couple months later, I started having a lot of bleeding. And um, 
I felt like something was stabbing me internally. Mm -hmm. And TMI, when my husband and I were having sex, basically his penis was getting stabbed by something. So I thought, I thought it was my IUD. And so I quickly went to the gynecologist and I'm like, there's something wrong here. Like my IUD is dislodged. It's somewhere in there. So he kind of felt around and he was like, no, he's like, this is your sling. So I went back to my urogynecologist and he checked and confirmed that basically the mesh was starting to dislodge. Mm -hmm. So he told me we would need to do a revision surgery. And he also blamed me and said, it's because of the type of activity that I was doing. He said, you had no business running a Spartan race like that quickly after a surgery. Um, You should not be running more than two miles. Anything over two miles is excessive, which at the time I was, I was averaging like a 5k. Um, And he said, no woman, no woman should ever lift more than 40 pounds. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, fucker, my kids weigh more than 40 pounds. Like, and I right. pick them up all the time. Like, I, I, no woman. And then he continued and he said, um, he was like, not only should they not lift more than 40 pounds, that's not going to give you the lean, long muscles that women desire. And I'm like, motherfucker, who said I wanted to be long? Stop. Like, who, oh, hell no. Like I am short and I am stocky and I build a lot of muscle. Like I will never be long and lean. Those are never adjectives that anybody would use to describe me. So I'm thinking, do you think like, are you making the assumption that I want to lose weight and I want to get tiny and petite and dainty? Because that is not what my body is. And you knew before my surgery, what kind of activity I did. Like I, I was very clear very clear about the activity in my life um and i you know how this was impacting the activity that i did so in that moment i was like wow like this is this is awful um and he did suggest you know go to the gym like get on the elliptical maybe like power walk on the treadmill you know you can lift like some some 10 pound weights at the most you know just like really light Uh. and i'm just like (laughs) what and he he even told me in that moment he was like he's like i can i just stayed quiet um because at the time i didn't feel empowered to advocate for myself very much and um you know he's a doctor he's a professional like he knows best right but i something in my face he looked at me he's like i can tell you're not going to listen to me and i was like probably not like i would rather I know that this is terrible, but in that moment, I was thinking, I would rather piss myself than give up a barbell. Like, that's a big part of my life. Like, you can't take that away from me. Like, that's why I came in here is so I could get back to the barbell, so I could get back to doing the things that I loved. So Mm -hmm. we ended up doing the revision surgery. um, And again, I was out this time. I think I was out for like six weeks. How long after the initial did you get the revision? um, I think it was about six months later. But I had, but I had lived with it for a few months before I finally was like, okay, I need to go to the doctor. I need to get a revision surgery because did you have any, did you have any change in uh, the stressor urge or mixed incontinence like after getting it? So I will say, um, the surgery technically worked. Um, I still, to this day, I do not have any incontinence issues at all, Mm -hmm. but I have a hard time emptying my bladder. 
So, um, like, like sometimes at night, like I'll be in the bathroom and I'm like peeing and I'm in there for like five minutes after I've already like emptied most of my bladder. And my husband's like, what are you doing in there? And I'm like, I'm just peeing because there's like three more drops that need to come out. And I know that, the, I know it's in there, but I can't release it all. Like it's still, right. it's just kind of stuck. And so I have to just kind of sit there patiently until it makes its way out. So while I don't have incontinence issues as far as peeing myself, um, I still have a hard time emptying my bladder now, which is, is a problem. It's, it's uncomfortable. So that, yeah. like, not to diagnose or anything, but, like, people don't realize that pelvic floor treatment goes way beyond Kegels and strengthening. Like, they're muscles, just like your mm -hmm. bicep, just like your hamstring. They need to yeah. be able to uh, be, like, l for lack of a better term, because I can't think of one, long enough to uh, accommodate, like, efficiently and also strong enough. So if you're not addressing the length piece and the, like, not flexibility, but you know what I mean. I'm, like, drawing a blank on the word. If you're not addressing that piece and getting the relaxation <laughs> part in, you're, it's not going to, like, cure your or fix your problem. Yeah. So while, while you're peeing, like, your pelvic floor, and I talked about this in my post today, your pelvic floor is supposed to be relaxing to allow that urine to come out. So mm -hmm. if you have scar tissue possibly in there, or I do. You, yeah, right. Yeah. And you've been doing Kegels, like I don't know, like how long you've been holding them, how long you were doing them, whatever. If all of that is like hypertonic and just in like this contracted state, it's going to be even more difficult to let that go. Yeah. Um, and can cause some of that like urge yeah. problem. Yeah. Have you ever tried like? Sorry, I'm going on like a big tangent, but no, I love this okay. shit. <laughs> uh, have you ever tried like tilting forward, like to kind of? You know what yes. I mean? So that is something that he actually recommended for me. Um, cause right after the surgery, the first surgery, um, I called him in a panic the first time I needed to go pee because literally nothing came out for the first day without me having to like lean forward. And so the first couple times that I went pee, I was like, um, like, did they, did they just like seal everything up during surgery? <laughs> nothing was coming out. And I called him and he was like, that's okay. Just kind of like lean forward and then try leaning back and then like kind of tilt to the side, like kind of essentially just move around until you find a steady stream. And so for me, definitely tilting forward helps with it, mm -hmm. but, um, but it still takes time to empty my bladder fully. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and after the second or the first, the revision surgery, I had, um, I had six weeks off from the gym and once again, I had to like rebuild my core strength and it was really challenging for me. And, um, within like a month, um, once again, I was having bleeding and stabbing and it was stabbing my husband upon penetration and we were dealing with the same issues all over again. And the solution that was provided to me is, um, again, to stop lifting more than 40 pounds, stop running. Um, as much as I was running and also to continue doing revision surgeries. Shut and, up. Yeah, Wait, he, stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I, I asked, I asked him if we could remove it fully. And he said at that point there was scar tissue that had built up, built up and the mesh had been, um, kind of absorbed into my flesh there. And so the only way to remove it, like, I mean, picture, it's literally a piece of mesh. It's literally yeah. a piece of mesh. So there's like tiny, fine little 
pieces of this mesh. I don't know what material it is, but basically they would have to cut me open and take out all these little tiny pieces because it was all intertwined with my flesh. So essentially the only solution is as pieces start to dislodge, remove what's dislodged time and time again. And at that Ugh. point, I was like, I don't want to have another surgery. Like, I can't keep doing this. So, um, you know, we've, we've gotten creative <laughs> with, like, positions. <laughs> and um, we've made it work. But currently, I am living with something that still occasionally stabs me. And I still occasionally have bleeding from it. And I've just kind of, unfortunately, accepted it at this point in time. Because I know at some point I am going to have to get another revision surgery. Um, but I also want it to be at a time when I can go see somebody that's more qualified to do that. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to travel. And because I am a mom, like mm -hmm. my kids are still home most of the time. Um, I don't have that flexibility to just like go to a doctor in the Bay area, which I live in California, but we live, we live a couple hours away from the Bay. So, which is where I would probably find a more qualified doctor to do it but like now I'm dealing with this whole issue of like the timing is just not right so I just kind of suck it up and I deal with it um right but I regret it like it's it's a huge regret um I think the moment I told him about my lifestyle he should have immediately gone you're not a good candidate for surgery like if you're going to be this level of active like this level of fitness um, you're going to lift a barbell. You're not going to listen to what I say as far as like how you should work out. Then this is not for you because it's going to dislodge. Like he should have known that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I, I wish that there would have been more education right after I had kids is like, you know, we, I mean, even this is like completely off topic, but even when we talk about like postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, you literally fill out a, like a simple questionnaire when you go in the office and they make sure that you're not suicidal or that you want to hurt your children. And then they go, Oh, you're fine. And they send you on your way. And that's it. Like we do not give a shit about moms after they give birth. Like I, it's crazy to me that there's not this level, this higher level of postpartum care for our mothers where doctors are like, are you peeing yourself? Like, do you deal with incontinence? Because here is a pelvic floor therapist that I would like to refer you to. That's going to help you get your life back. Because the reality is, I'm not just a mom. Like, my whole life doesn't revolve around motherhood. We shouldn't be these martyrs that, like, have to live and suffer through these uncomfortable things because, like, all we are is a mom. Like, mm -hmm. it, this has affected my, my fitness. It's affected my, my livelihood. It's affected my sex life. Like, this has affected so many parts of my life. Um, and it could have all been prevented had somebody just referred me to a pelvic floor therapist years ago. That mm -hmm. should just be the gold standard of care when mothers are leaving the hospital. It is in Europe. Standard. It is in Europe. Yeah. Why is it not here? Yeah. So here, like, not that this is an excuse, but it's such a new realm of physical therapy. But that being said, like, gynecologists, OBGYNs, like, all I think MDs should know that we exist just to yeah. prevent this and like oh it's no big deal you're not you're peeing your pants you could do whatever you want like it's not mm -hmm. really that physical but it's so like it's so defeating to have to live with that and then yeah. like 
just like alter your whole life. So I think a lot of women, and like I try to educate as much as I can on this, like because you want a better life for yourself and a better quality of life for yourself does not make you a bad mom. It makes you a better mom, actually. It makes you a better exactly. mom. Yep. Because think about, yep. all, like, if you're happy and, like, you're doing the shit that you want to yep. do, think about how much better you're showing up for your family yep. and for your kids because you're showing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. yep. And we don't, like, um, for some reason, our culture does not, like, perpetuate that. Mm -mm. No. And no. it's like, oh, well, you're a piece of shit because you're selfish. But yep. no. Like, that's one of the most selfless things you can do. Yeah. On Mother's Day, I actually treat myself to a mom's day out, and I go to brunch by myself, and I go to the movies, <laughs> and I get coffee, and I have received a lot of hate for it, and I'm like, and then I've also received a lot of comments of moms being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that, and I'm like, bitch, do it, like, exactly, do it. Like, you can do it, all the time, like, like, hire a babysitter, pass them off to the husband, and like, get out of the house and do something for you, because, I mean, you can, there's that cliche, you know, like you can't, um, what is it? You can't pour from an empty cup. And it's true. Like you cannot, when you are not taking care of yourself, there's no way for you to show up for your children. And I also think like one of the ways that I put it, um, to a lot of like friends and clients is just the idea of like, what would you want for your children? Like I talk mm -hmm. a lot about, um, about parenting yourself and uh, mothering yourself and like, you wouldn't want your kids to suffer through life like this, like, and just be like, well, like it is what it is. Like I, I pissed myself and, um, I can't run because I pissed myself. Like you would want your kids to, to be happy and active and, um, and eat well and take care of themselves and sleep well. And like, but yet when it, when we do it for ourselves, we're selfish. Like, fuck that. Exactly. No. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then like, I'm sure that, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but, if, like, after pregnancy, I'm sure you then hold some resentment if you're, like, living this subpar life that you didn't want to live, and you're like, well, why the hell yeah. did this happen? Yes. You know? But then, but then the mom shame and the mom guilt comes in and goes, like, oh, bitch, you should not be feeling like that. Like, you're a bad mom <laughs> for feeling this way. And so you try to, like, force yourself to not feel that way. And there's, there's so much shame and guilt that comes around motherhood in general. I think just with being a woman in general – but especially around motherhood, there's just like a lot of guilt and shame that plays into it. And we definitely have this expectation of mothers that we have to be all things to everyone, but we're not allowed to be all things to ourselves. Yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as like, again, this is a blanket statement, but I see it a lot. Like, as far as exercise recommendations and prescriptions coming from an MD or a surgeon, mm -hmm. uh, it's, most of it's always bullshit because they try, they like, they don't understand the body like a physical therapist does. And I hate no. to be like, oh, we're so great. But like, we understand exercise programming and capacity yeah. and load and all that way better than them. So, you can't walk around lifting five pounds the rest of your life. No. Like, if you underwent something as traumatic, and like, tra I mean traumatic, like to your body using a bunch of different things, a bunch of different mechanisms and whatever, you can't undergo something as traumatic as pregnancy and delivering a child to being able to do all the things six weeks postpartum. Like, yeah. you need a plan to get there. And like, yeah. this is what MDs are not understanding. And yeah. This is why I'm so adamant about women 
learning what their options are first and yes. advocating for themselves mm -hmm. because otherwise like something god forbid like your experience can happen when they didn't yeah. even weren't even offered a conservative option yeah you yeah. know and i mean the conservative options should always be the ones that are delivered first right like let's try this and if this is not working after we put in lots of time then let's go to step two um, surgery should always be the very last option because any surgery, every single surgery is incredibly risky. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. some carry bigger risks than others and, but every surgery, especially if you're going under, there's a risk of death. There's a risk of things going wrong. Like there are heavy risks to every surgery. So why is that the first thing that we are being offered? Exactly. Why is that the, I mean, I know some of it, you and I chatted about this. I'm sure some of it has to do with insurance and how much people get paid. But, um, <laughs> but like, if you are a healthcare provider, quality of life of your patient should always be the forefront every fucking time. Like, I think that I know that with the insurance model, it's harder to see patients for longer periods of time. And this is one of the reasons why like you walked away from the insurance model is that you can really get to know your clients and really spend time understanding more than like the numbers on the scale and like, you know, things like that, like just the shit on paper, like you need to understand their lifestyle. You need to understand their life. Like, um, do you lift kids that are more than 40 pounds? Like, what is, do you like to play in the garden? Like I'm, I, I work in the garden all the time. Like every day I'm in the garden. Um, those things should have been taken into consideration. Do you like to lift it with a barbell or do you like to go on the elliptical? Like what does your exercise look like? What does your nutrition look like? What do all these mm -hmm. things look like? You need to have a full picture so you can help just increase the quality of life for your patients, for your clients. And I'm going to be like real right here. Cause I've worked in insurance based places for four years before I opened my practice mm -hmm. and insurance doesn't give a fuck what your quality of life looks like. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. like to lift a 40 pound barbell? Oh, well, fuck yeah. you. Cause you can lift five pound dumbbell. How about that? Yeah. Settle for that. Cause we're not paying for it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, no wonder everybody's like self-esteem and self-worth and quality of life sucks yeah. because this is what's dictating our healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> There was another, what was my other point? I thought I had another point. Oh, yeah, so um, unless it's like a really like life or death situation, most of the time surgery is like, it's kind of like an expensive band-aid for something that's going on Yeah. that's deeper. And like you're never addressing why you need that surgery. So like for you, you never had your pelvic, did he eat, did the urogynecologist even do like, uh, an exam to see how strong your muscles actually were and like what the endurance looked like, relaxation, all of that. I can't remember. I do know there was like, it was two days of testing. Like, um, and I don't remember what the first, what the first day was, but the first day, um, I did some testing with him. And then the second day was when they did the, the catheter. And I remember there was some kind of situation around that where like, I couldn't eat or drink anything before I went in. Um, cause they needed a fully empty bladder when I went in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't remember what else they did, but everything was very much, um, machine operated. Yeah. Uh, versus like 
hands-on kind of treatment. So Right. So, like, for you, your stress incontinence could have been tight pelvic floor, weak pelvic floor, mm -hmm. no endurance in the pelvic floor, poor core strength, behavior, um, bladder behaviors. Like, all of this stuff can yeah. be conservatively addressed first before surgery ever becomes an option. Yeah. So, again, like, if you if your issue is partly a tight pelvic floor, you still have no idea how to relax that pelvic floor. Yeah. So, <clears throat> even after surgery and there being scar tissue in there, you still don't know how to use that to your advantage because yeah. he never addressed the core, no pun intended, of the problem. Yeah. You yeah. know? So. Yeah. I don't even think there were like that many lifestyle questions. Like I am, I drink a lot of water, but I also drink, <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee. I drink a lot of coffee and I know it's, I know it's to, uh, sometimes to a point of excess, but I balance it out with water. But I'm drinking fluids all day. So, like, I mean, he didn't even say something as simple like, um, maybe you shouldn't drink two cups of coffee before you go for a run, you know? Like, yeah. Maybe that, like, maybe that's why you peed yourself, you know? <laughs> like, Hello. Maybe like, maybe you should stop, <laughs> like, lay off on the coffee, go for a run first, and then drink your coffee. Um, so there were, no, there were no simple solutions. It was just, here we have a diagnosis, now we treat, and we treat with surgery. And right. It, it was very much seemed like he was pointing to this is the better option for you. This makes more sense for you. And the way he, he spun it, it absolutely did feel like the best choice for me at the time. Well, so, yeah, cause he's a salesman and he needs to make money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the same kind of doctor that does like vaginal rejuvenation surgeries. So, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I but can't. That's like, another, I, that's like another conversation for another day. So, yeah. I, I can't get on any more soapboxes uh -huh. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on and talking yeah, no about problem. your story. I really appreciate it, and I always love talking to you. I know. I love being <laughs> on here with you. Thank you. Do you have anything you want to add or um, famous I, last words? Yeah, I think, I think the big thing is um, to advocate for yourself always every single time advocate for yourself and don't settle for the first choice that's given to you um i think that we kind of what is it like called white coat syndrome where yeah. like, we we look at these doctors and we're like oh like they're the experts but like every doctor it's not always universal what they're learned what they what they're taught and there are some doctors that are constantly researching new methods and new things and um I know it's a hassle and I know it's a pain in the ass to have to go to multiple consultations, but nobody else is going to advocate for us. No one. We have to advocate for ourselves. So that would be my biggest thing. And again, like if I could go back to that day of the pre-op when he made the comment about eight weeks, it's going to be an eight weeks recovery. That is the moment when I should have been like, uh, I'm out. And I, I wish that I could go back to that, but I can't. But now, moving forward, I can advocate for myself in every other area of my life. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And if, if anyone out there is suffering from stuff like Caitlin was describing, every state in the United States has what's called direct access. So if you feel like PT is something you want to explore, you can see somebody, uh, depending on your state laws, it's either by visit or by uh, how many days without an MD script. So you can kind of see, like, 
what might be going on. Like, they always say, oh, well, you can't diagnose. Like, no, I don't have MRI eyes. I can't tell you what's going on in your body. But I could definitely tell you what could be contributing to your symptoms, and I know how to address that. So um, that's always, always an option if you want to see if that will work and then, like, go from there. Yeah. MDs are not gods. Like, there's only so much that they can learn. Like, it's important to see people that specialize in these fields. I think that's always a better option. Although I did go see a urogynecologist, so you think that I would have had a better experience, but here we are. I know. <laughs> I was actually shocked yeah. when you told me this yeah. story. I was like, yes. what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it happens. It happens in every realm of medicine. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's shit PTs too, so. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank right. you so much. You're welcome. Good and thank you, everybody, you. for joining. You too. All Have right. a good day, everybody. Bye. So I am so thankful again, I can't even say this enough, how brave and open and honest Caitlin was in coming and sharing her story. I think every single woman needs to hear this. And um, she's an amazing personal trainer. She's a Hayes practitioner. She is a body image coach and she's just incredible at what she does. Um, In the last episode, I think it was the last episode, I mentioned how I was having a body image meltdown and a friend helped me through it. And Caitlin was that friend. So if that's something that you struggle with, definitely look her up. I'm going to put her um, contact information in the show notes. So go check her out. Follow her on Instagram. Her salty Sundays are amazing. They give me life every week. (laughs) Um, But Caitlin is just an amazing human being. And if any of this resonated with you and you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. If I can't help you, I can help you find someone who may be able to. Never settle for bullshit like you're destined for surgery or living with pads for the rest of your life if urinary incontinence is something you struggle with and you've never been offered any conservative measure other than we'll just do Kegels because A, we're never instructed on how to program Kegels. We're never instructed on um, whether we're doing them correctly. You're not just going to kegel your way through life sitting at a stop sign. I'm sorry, that doesn't it doesn't happen like that. And there's way more other things involved than kegels. And truth be told, your OBGYN and your MD are not assessing your muscle endurance or your muscle strength in your pelvic floor. So for them to just tell you, hey, just go do kegels and you could stop peeing yourself is not the best, most thorough advice because they haven't efficiently evaluated the musculature in your pelvic floor. So I'm going to leave you with that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please let me know if you have any questions. If you want to email me with them instead of DMing, that's great too. You can find me at mchofidpt at newquestpt.com. All my info is in the show notes as well as Caitlin. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week on another episode of Finally Fearless.